This is the Authentically Mental Podcast, a podcast all about mental health, sexuality, and recovering from abuse. I'm your host, Kayla Hurt, and this is episode 16, The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind, with my very special guest, Dr. Barbara Lipska. Great to hear from you, too. Thank you so much for taking my call on vacation, first of all. Not on on vacation. When I tell you what happened to me, you'll be shocked. (laughs) (laughs) I fell off the bike. No, are you okay? I had an accident because I didn't notice the gate across the trail. Mm. No, I'm not okay. I broke my uh, hip and my um, pelvis, actually, and my shoulder. I am so sorry that happened to you. (laughs) Yes, so... um, I'm I'm broken. <laughs> I'm so and, uh, sorry because you and, haven't been through you. enough in your life. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is all I needed. Yes, and, and I'll have brain surgery on Wednesday. Another brain uh, surgery? Oh my goodness! Yeah, they found out that there is something that they don't know what it is. Either the um, progression of cancer or or radiation changes. So they want to take it out because that's therapeutic for both and we'll test it anyway is a big thing um so my um broken bones will not help in this situation not at all i mean broken bones really help a situation in general so having <laughs> you know to go through brain surgery with broken bones i'm sure isn't going to help at all either so i yeah. apologize for the delay i didn't it didn't dawn on me that you're on the east coast and i'm in texas and so when you said oh I'll, yeah <laughs> this is what i wonder that's why i emailed oh it's very uh, Texas is uh, one hour. Yes, we're so it's ten eleven here, right? Yeah, it's ten eleven here uh, right now. Yeah. yeah I'm so sorry. Okay. No, that's my fault. <laughs> I should have. I mean, I read your book. I read your book, The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind, and uh, I should have known that you're in Virginia, correct? That's right. Yes. Now I am in Boston. Okay. Uh, because we're coming back from this vacation that I broke uh, my bones, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I was treated at Brigham and Women. And I'll be having brain surgery at Brigham and Women on on uh, Wednesday. So I'm living with my sister, who is okay. fantastic. As I, as you know, my family is so supportive, so incredible. Yes. Without my family, I would have perished. <laughs> yes, yes. You in your book uh, now. For those of you who are listening who don't know, uh, Dr. Barbara Lipska is the mother of the Lipska model where they, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Lipska, but you are the mother of the Lipska model, which kind of uh, measures mental illness in your... Uh, It it was supposed to be mimicking mental illness, to be an animal model to understand mental illness on a a molecular or anatomical or whatever level inside the brain. <laughs> yes. Yes, and and I yeah. I admire your work very much because I'm a big advocate for mental health and mental illness. I myself uh, have post traumatic stress disorder, anxiety and depression. So I'm a huge advocate for mental health and mental health awareness and mental health research and of course this podcast is all about mental health and mental health research and so it's really an honor to have you on cuz I'm a huge fan. 
Thank you so much. <laughs> and you've been through so much, too. I mean, I loved your book. It was amazing. For those of you uh, who haven't read The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind by Barbara Lipska, please pick it up. It's an amazing read, especially if you like research and things about the brain and really diving into losing your mind and coming back again, which is really what the book is all about, because as because you're you're so you've had several cancers you've had brain cancer and breast cancer you got breast cancer first correct that's right that's right i had breast cancer in 2009 and then skin melanoma behind my ear in 2011 at the end almost to 2012 and three years later it spread into my brain mm-hmm and you didn't know that the melanoma was there, correct? Or did you? And you had the melanoma removed, but I, it metastasized anyway, correct? That's right. Okay. Uh, it was stage one when it was removed. So I was very optimistic, thinking that this is the end of of this deal, but it wasn't. And um, three years later, I experienced um, these dramatic um, changes uh, with vision which I describe in the book. And um, then it turned out that melanoma spread into my brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was rapidly spreading too, because I remember in your book, I mean, it started out and the doctor seemed, I forget his name, forgive me. uh, He seemed very optimistic that the, um, Oh gosh, I'm Dr. Sorry. Atkins. Dr. Atkins. Yes, Dr. Atkins. Yes. Dr. Atkins. Yes. Yeah. He was very optimistic um, originally, and then you had a second scan that showed that the treatment didn't work, and that's when they started doing the targeted radiation. Correct. Uh, correct and incorrect. Okay. Because, um, <laughs> because it did work. Uh, my doctor, no one actually in the field realized that. Uh, when uh, immunotherapy, which I got, uh, was given to people with brain cancer, um, the melanoma cells in the brain that were already in the brain, they spread everywhere. And if they spread, they spread very, you know, everywhere. Yeah, it was, the, it was all over your brain. brain. Yeah. So there were many melanoma cells in my brain. And when I was given immunotherapy, all these... Um, altered T-cells um, started battling melanoma and induced a huge inflammation and swelling in my brain. Yeah, I remember so, you writing about the steroids that you had to be on, and steroids, I mean, can make you just so awful of a person just because it's such a mood-altering drug, and it can make you so yes. aggressive and just irritable and itchy. <laughs> Uh, Well, they do a lot of good things. They do. I was giving steroids later uh, during, well, and during immunotherapy because I had a lot of uh, many rashes all over my body. But um, steroids actually reduce inflammation. So I was giving massive doses of steroids when it was found out that I had swelling in my brain. So it was a good thing. I became manic. That's another, uh, you know, side effect of steroids. But before all that, because of the swelling in my brain, because of the battle that was going on to fight my cancer, um, my brain swelled and I started behaving very strangely. It had nothing to do with steroids at this point. 
Uh, it had to do with this combination of immunotherapy and uh, cancer. Um, so I, I, I lost function of the part of the brain, especially the most evolved part of the brain, frontal cortex, that uh, governs inhibition. We don't act uh, yeah, like in a knee-jerk re reaction uh, mode. But think, I didn't. I stopped thinking. I lost inhibition. I lost um, insight. I had no idea what was happening to me, that I was behaving strangely. Right. I lost emotion. Yeah, I didn't have emotions. Yeah, you um, open your book by describing the fact that you were getting ready to go on a run. And yes you noticed gray hair in the mirror. And so you did a henna dye on your hair and like put a cap on and then went jogging. And then you came home and your husband was like, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> kind of funny, but yeah. it was not that funny at the moment it's for not. others to it, watch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it had to have been very shocking to, to your husband and not to you, unfortunately at the time, because like you said, you lost the ability to understand that that was weird and not normal. So I imagine it was very shocking to your family to be like, what is going on True. here? Yeah. They noticed that I changed. I didn't. I lost insight. As many people with schizophrenia and particular bipolar disorder uh, do. They don't know that they are ill. And it's not about being in denial. It's about simply not knowing, not noticing. I noticed that my family was acting, in quotes, strangely, because they were talking to each other, they were concerned, they were stressed out. And I thought, what's wrong with them? Why do they act like this? So I was very, um, I didn't notice my own changes. I, I was completely unaware what was happening with my behaviors, and I never, I never connected it with tumors in my brain. Right. And I found your snippets about schizophrenia and bipolar disorder very interesting in your book because my mother has schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. She has both. And she doesn't know that she's sick. And and so it's unfortunately her and I don't speak because she won't get help because she doesn't know that she needs help. And it's just a very toxic situation for the both of us because I can't, it, it becomes very abusive and toxic when she acts the way that she does. And a lot of people don't understand that it's not that she's in denial about her illness. Well, I mean, I guess in a, in a sense she is, but it's just, it's not, she's not unwilling to get help because she doesn't know that she needs help. That's right. That's a problem. And um, she probably wouldn't take medication as I, as I wouldn't. Uh, I didn't listen to my loved ones. They were terrified by how I behaved. But I didn't get any of this. I just didn't think, basically. I could not connect um, the dots completely. I, the neuroscientist who studied this illness, my whole professional life. <laughs> so this is tragic, but uh, we don't fully understand what causes it. Yeah, what it, is it, 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 is, it? it is tragic. It's really, it's 
hopefully in the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, we can figure out why people with schizophrenia, what is it, uh, 40% of bipolar and 50% of schizophrenia patients don't know that they have the illness and don't know that they're sick? Is, is that the right numbers? Yes, it is. It's just my hope that uh, in the next decades, we will understand the brain. The brain is a very complicated organ, and we know relatively little about it still. Studying it, my professional life, whole my, my whole professional life, um, I learned, of course, I learned some things, but we're still far away uh, of, um, of finding um, cure. There are some drugs, but they are not really working very well. And uh, as uh, you know, uh, patients don't want to take them because they cause side effects and patients are not aware that they are ill. So why would they do this to themselves, they think? Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. mean, you would think that that's what they're thinking. They're like, why would I take medicine if I'm not sick? Like that should be the, that would probably be the general consensus of people who don't know that they're mentally ill when they're like, when a doctor's like, you know, you should take some medication because you have this, this, and this. And they're like, no, I don't. <laughs> that's crazy talk. That's right. That's right. That's crazy talk. I experienced it firsthand. I know how it works now. I mean, how it works in terms of uh, the perspective of a patient. I don't know the mechanism of it. No one knows uh, to lose insight. What does it involve? Which parts of the brain? Which chemicals in the brain? We don't understand it yet. And hopefully we will with time and we'll be able to, uh, to help. Yeah. And I think what you went through definitely is such an impactful thing within the psychiatric world and within the neuro neurology and neuroscience world, because I mean, really nobody really comes back from what you went through. That's the general consensus is that very few people come back from what you went through, let alone with the insight to be able to reflect and go, wow, this is what it's like for these types of patients. It's remarkable. That that's true. This is why when I came out of it and uh, knowing as much about mental illness as I did, I thought I have to write it down because it's incredible. Uh, it, um, it provided uh, incredible uh, evidence for me that it is in the brain and it provided incredible insight into how it feels to be mentally ill so i started writing it down first to myself my family and then an op-ed new york times article and then it evolved into the book how much did your family contribute to the book and what i mean by that is how much did their accounts match what you remembered well, we, we checked every fact and um, interviewed. Uh, this was um, a lot of work uh, put into it. It was uh, by um, Elaine McArdle, who interviewed my family. And it was much better than if I did it, because uh, that, would, that was um, more objective, I think. Mm. So uh, we tried to, to figure out what, how I behaved, because I couldn't remember many things, especially emotional uh, things that happened. Um, I remember some facts, not all of them, but many, uh, but I couldn't connect emotions to these facts. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you you lost the emotional memory was uh, resided somewhere else, and I didn't have any access to it. Yeah, you lost your empathy. Basically, is how it's kind of described in the book. Yeah, even uh, empathy towards my grandsons, which is yeah. <laughs> the most dramatic thing that can happen. Yeah, because you weeks. write about how much you love them in the book, and then all of a sudden you were just annoyed I with them. I love my husband. My, I mean, there are many people in my family that I love immensely, and I couldn't, my daughter, my son, my sister, uh, have family, uh, and I couldn't convey any of this. I, I, I was behaving horribly. I was behaving like a monster at that time, yelling and uh, demanding and uh, just uh, just badly. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and that has to be. Were you were you shocked and appalled when you were hearing your family's accounts because you were missing the empathy aspect of it? Were you, did you Absolutely. Fall, I mean, I'm sure, I didn't, I'm sure you were shocked I, and appalled. I'm, but did you feel, did you go into like a depression almost afterwards because you felt so bad after you came out of everything and you were like, Oh my God, I can't believe I did these horrible things. I apologized. I couldn't believe it. I, um, it was, uh, but knowing what I know about, uh, schizophrenia and uh, mental illness it helped understanding what could have happened and why uh, once I came out of it I, I started studying what happened to me because I was so curious uh, why I turned into this kind of a monster so I then I connected brain regions that were affected and there were many of them so it's not it's not easy to say, oh, I lost this part of the frontal cortex. That's why I didn't uh, love my husband. It's impossible. Many brain ridges were involved. Um, my brain was dramatically swollen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the swelling plays a huge part in it, too, because it affects pretty much the whole brain. So while you're losing your empathy and things like that in the prefrontal cortex, your entire brain is also being affected from the inflammation alone. Yes. If it were, uh, if it uh, continued and I had more brain swelling, I could have died because my brain stain, brain stem would stop uh, functioning. And um, fortunately, this didn't happen because I was taken to the hospital and uh, got uh, brain scans. And it was discovered that immunotherapy, as my doctor said, didn't work. Actually, it did uh, too much. So, <laughs> And um, I was given steroids and later targeted therapy. Um, we don't know which one helped. Steroid definitely helped uh, to reduce swelling. But I think, and my doctor agrees now, that the most critical part of my treatment was immunotherapy, which um, led to all these uh, strange uh, behaviors, uh, the madness that I experienced. But then when it, when it subsided... It, uh, the tumors were either um, disappeared or they shrunk considerably. So, um, so we agree that it did help. 
Yeah, the immunotherapy can be extremely beneficial. I know it's still kind of new and experimental in some cases, but it seems like it's becoming more commonplace, if you will, for treatment. Yes, especially for, um, for melanoma, but also for other cancers. And they are considering now in the mental, um, mental illness field uh, immune um, deficiencies or uh, dysfunction in patients with, uh, with um, Alzheimer's, for instance. Uh, they found it recently. You probably read an article. And I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't some component of immune system that is, um, that is present in, uh, in people with mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar, um, and others. Who knows? I mean, the future is bright for that. I hope. I hope. Yes. <laughs> the future yes. is bright. Yes. Yes. So that's how it feels. That's how. Yes. That, that is. That is how it feels. It feels it, the future of mental illness feels very bright to me because we've had so many breakthroughs, and of course, now you have experienced this hopefully once in a lifetime thing, and. How hopefully. has, hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed, I know you go for another brain scan soon because your doctors are concerned, but. Brain surgery. Surgery, I'm excuse going me. For another brain surgery on Wednesday. Did you shave your head um, already? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet, but I may have to do it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's... Yeah, well, that's the least of it. I don't uh, know. I discovered during my journeys with uh, cancer that hair is under, um, is overrated. That is the least of a problem. (laughs) I lost hair probably five times already or six times. Breast cancer, chemo, radiation, uh, melanoma. Um, So um, it doesn't worry me that much. What worries me is that this uh, melanoma spread again uh, and uh, is giving problems. Um, but we'll see. We'll see after the surgery. They will do a pathology exam and we'll see what it is. They cannot tell from the scan. That's a problem. Uh, so we call it lesion in the book. Lesion means something abnormal on the scan, but it may be all kinds of things. We don't know what it is. It may be a tumor or it may be a wound, radiation change. Uh, sometimes it's an artifact. It isn't in this case. Um, so that's why I have surgery, to explore it and diagnose it and take it out because it's spreading. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, good luck with that because you're a lot stronger than I think a lot of people could be in this type of situation because you sound so upbeat and optimistic with it. You're just kind of like, yeah, I broke like three bones and I have brain surgery tomorrow, but it, it's fine. <laughs> like you just have such a like great energy about you. And that's one thing that I wanted to point out to the listeners too is, you know, you have maintained your activity level to amazing heights. Like you're an extremely active person. I, I would consider you an athlete basically. it's true i mean i broke all these bones while biking so uh i was biking i was running i was swimming i felt uh, very well until this happened and some people are saying oh you should have stayed at home and don't 
and, and be, you shouldn't be involved in these uh, dangerous activities. But on the other hand, this is my life. This is what I love. So I'm going to continue, uh, maybe more cautiously, definitely more cautiously. <laughs> I'm much more cautious now than before already. Uh, but uh, it was nothing, um, you know, over the top. I was going slowly. I was paying attention. But I don't see on the left side. My optic nerve was damaged because of the radiation. And I didn't see on the left. I didn't notice the gate. And this is why I fell. Mm -hmm. How has that yeah. affected you? I mean, aside from breaking bones, obviously. How has the optic nerve affected you otherwise? Because you're still working. You're still in the lab. <laughs> you're still doing uh, everything that you love to do, basically. So it doesn't seem like it's affected you very slowed you down at least at all <laughs> that's right good this is my life and i'm not going to stop living until i uh i stop living <laughs> and see that's what i loved about your book and about you know interviewing you now for sure is you're so full of life and i love that that's one of the reasons why i reached out to you to have this conversation with you is because you were so full of life even when you had your diagnosis and your family was crying and you were like you were just like it's gonna be fine it's gonna like you were you were scared and you were worried in your own way, but you were still just like it's gonna be fun. I'm gonna keep biking. I'm gonna keep hiking. I'm gonna keep doing all these things. You were training for a triathlon before you got diagnosed, correct? Uh, for half Ironman, uh, which is a very long triathlon. Yes, uh, and I did two triathlons, but only a swimming part since of half Ironman. Uh, the last one was in June with my husband biking and a friend running and i was swimming 1.2 miles in the lake incredible uh, <laughs> incredible so i'm going to do this i'm trying now with the broken bones it may be even more difficult but um it will pass i hope it will pass as long as my brain holds up i'll be fine um we all our brains so if i lose my brain that that's it but until then i'm alive and i'll be doing what i like to do that's amazing and the fact that you just haven't given up and i know that that has to help your body in the healing process too with how active you are and how healthy you are it's got to help your body heal in some way i'm sure that's true <laughs> I, I really believe uh, that my physical abilities and my emotional strengths help me a lot. Uh, my doctors call me a poster child because um, I kind of, from so many already bumps on the road, get up and go on, get up and go on. Um, because of my uh, physical and emotional strengths, I think I can do it. Otherwise, it would be very difficult. Yeah, and I I think that you're one of very few people who could be so optimistic, be so active, and and not give up on their life just because they have a critical, possibly lethal diagnosis, which was of course the brain cancer, but prior to that, the breast cancer as well. Now, you do you still wear your um? Because you talk about it in the book, which is why I'm asking, do you still have a prosthetic breast that you wear when you work out and do all that stuff? Um, 
Yes, and uh, I don't know because it is on the left side where I uh, have broken bones, broken shoulders. So, but I don't worry about it. it as the, the hair, it is something that, yeah, aesthetically it's important for, especially for us women. But overall, it is not really. As long as we're alive and we <laughs> we love and we see and we feel. That's what is important, not if we have a breast or if we have a hair. I it agree. doesn't matter. <laughs> I agree. What's a matter what's what matters the most is you living your best life and being full of love and loving other people and being Yes, and enjoying it. Enjoying it and uh, having uh, my grandsons around and having my family around. This is most important, having people around. (laughs) Yeah, being loved and loving people is what's really important. Yes, definitely. I agree. So how has going mentally, going basically to a mental state of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and then coming out of it again, how has that affected your research in all of this? And how has that affected, you know, how you treat patients and do all of these things that you do when you're at work? I don't treat patients because I work at the bench uh, in the brain uh, bank, but um, it definitely gave me more drive, more uh, urgency, feeling of urgency to, to uh, make advances like they were made in, in cancer research from which I benefited immensely. Uh, I hope one day we'll discover drugs that will cure mental illness and that will discover mechanisms um, of mental illness. But we, uh, we have some, some hypotheses, but we really don't know. Uh, so before we figure it out, it's a lot of work for talented investigators who will hopefully come and, um, and take, uh, take it further to a different level. Um, so that's my hope. Yeah, I really hope so because you have been, I feel you have been such a monumental figure in the mental health society and the mental health world. And I actually work in uh, neuroscience, but I focus on, uh, inflammation and stroke, which is what I focus on the most. But I have, like I said earlier, I have a deep, deep love for mental illness and mental health and finding cures and stuff like that, because if we could find if we could have found a cure 20 years ago, I could have had a mother. And that's how I look at it. And and so I'm very passionate about that. And I'm actually participating in a study right now that studies inflammation in the brain and how it affects mental health. And it's looking at pain receptors in people who have pain because I unfortunately have scoliosis. And so uh, I treat that with a regimen of chiropractic care and Epsom salt baths and yoga and just maintaining because I don't want to put a rod in my back. I'm only 31, so I'm not ready for that. (laughs) And (laughs) you're very young. (laughs) Yeah, I'm only 31. I'm not I'm not ready for a uh, for a rod in my back. So. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm, I'm doing everything to keep that from happening, but I do have pain. So they're actually studying my brain because I have mental illness. Like I said, I have post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and depression. And so they're studying how pain affects the inflammation of the brain. And I actually go for a PET scan and a uh, MRI next week to look at my brain and see wow. what's going on. So you on contribute that. to science big time. I love You're science. Your body. 
<laughs> yes, I donate. I actually donate my body to science a little bit. I, I try to do it a couple times a year, actually. Um, last year, I donated um, some tissue samples so people could find cures for autoimmune disease, such as fibromyalgia, type 1 diabetes, things of that nature. Because I'm perfectly healthy in that department. I don't have any autoimmune diseases. So... Mm-hmm. I donated uh, some lobs of flesh. I have little scars on my arm from it, but it was fine. I, I didn't, I didn't mind it at all. I donate blood all the time for research, and you know, yes. this is terrific. Thank you, as uh, as a scientist. Yes, you're <laughs> and, so welcome. Yeah. You're so that's welcome. terrific. Um, so hopefully, with all this um, movement. And that's why I wrote the book in in the end that I will spread this uh, I will spread the um, the knowledge about mental illness and the needs uh, for more research for more funding for underst- more understanding of what it is about. Some people still believe that it's a schizophrenic mother that gives us mental illness, but you know that it is not the case. That is true. And, yeah. That is true. I have a I have a schizo- schizophrenic mother, and I don't think that she gave me mental illness. I think that I was. I remember back in the day. I mean, when I was, I can I can I can uh, remember as far back as five, six, and seven. I was always an anxious child. I think I was born with anxiety. I'm like ninety eight percent sure I was born with anxiety. She didn't give me that, and. Uh, depression and stuff like that. I think I was predispositioned to it because, you know, I also look at epigenetic culture. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure you've looked at epigenetics as a neuroscientist. I'm sure you've looked at that. Yes. Yes. I am yes. Epigenetics is big in this field. I. But we still don't know what it is. We know that it is part partially genetic. So you probably inherited some predisposition to this or that. Um, like uh, you probably uh, inherited predisposition to, uh, to certain viruses to, you know, to catch uh, certain viruses, certain other illnesses, everything is genetic in part, um, including how we behave and, um, how we behave is about the brain. If we behave abnormally, and it's hard to say what is a norm, uh, we are considered mentally ill people. Uh, If we cross certain lines that are described in detail in these manuals, but it's all based on behavior, and behavior is genetic. Yes. Like everything else. (laughs) Excuse me for half a second. My very large Mancoon cat decided that she wanted to podcast with me and is walking all over my desk. (laughs) Give me just a moment to put her down. There we go. Okay. Thank you, Callie. Your presence has been noted. (laughs) We have a cat as well. My sister has a cat. She's a big uh, tortoiseshell uh, calico Mancoon mix. And she's gorgeous and she's friendly and I love her to pieces, but I don't need her affection right now. <laughs> she just wants attention. So, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, I've been reading epigenetics for the past four or five years. I've been studying epigenetics. I'm fascinated by it. I find it completely compelling. And I'm definitely the type of person who is kind of like, okay, how is it's not so much what you eat it's what your great it's what your grandparents ate 
you know, and they were studying and that's kind of, sorry, excuse me. My cat is being very persistent right now. Come here. <laughs> She's rubbing on the microphone. I'm like, could you not? <laughs> you, gracious. Um, you know, it, it's not so much what you ate. It's, it's what your grandparents ate. Yeah. And there's uh, and, and previous um, generations did experience and maybe what they ate or what kind of stressors they experienced in their lives, uh, it's very likely that it affects how the genes are expressed. But in the end, it's about the genes. Um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's fantastic. And I'm really wondering because mental illnesses are kind of on the rise, like diagnoses anyway, being diagnosed with mental illness is on the rise, which I think is a good thing because that means, in a, in a sense, I think that's a good thing and, a, it, and it's a bad thing. Like, why are so many people being diagnosed with mental illness, first of all? But it's good that people are being diagnosed because that means more people are going to the doctor to get diagnosed instead of suffering in silence, which I think, I'm, I'm not an advocate for that. If you're depressed or feeling low or struggling with suicidal ideations or things like that, make an appointment with somebody and go get help. Like, you don't have to suffer. That's a big thing for me. And so, but yeah, so studying epigenetics, you know, my generation, the millennial generation, because I am a millennial, <laughs> I am looking at how our grandparents, my generation's grandparents, which would be the World War II generation, how that is affecting my current generation with mental disorders and seeing what's being passed on through epigenetics and what's not. Because we have our grandparents who went to war, obviously, and, obvi and saw a bunch of awful, awful things and came back and then possibly passed that type of stuff down to their grandkids, which would be my generation. So it's very interesting to me because there's been a lot of studies. Uh, I read a book by Mark. Oh, gosh. Is it Mark Woolman? I think I'm saying his name correctly. And... His book is titled It Didn't Start With You, and he talks about how grandparents – our grandkids, excuse me, of Holocaust victims are having suicidal ideations about incinerating themselves or hanging themselves and stuff like that. And what he discovered is he – these grandkids are having flashbacks to their grandparents who survived the Holocaust and – came back with, you know, these basically PTSD and passed that gener passed that through to Yes, yes. I agree. There are many studies of this sort now. That's it, it's all extremely fascinating to me and I just didn't know what your take on epigenetic culture was because I, I find it extremely fascinating because I think it might we still don't understand a lot about it like you said, but I think there is definitely some key elements and key components to it for sure. Light in the tunnel. Yes. <laughs> You're very, yes, indeed. So do you plan to write another book or are you kind of done for writing books right now? I will, I'm joking now that I'm gathering now, right now, as we speak, material to, for another book. Because of these broken bones, I'm going to title it Broken. <laughs> well, I will read it for sure because I loved, I absolutely loved your first book. It was so insightful and it was so in-depth. And I loved how you wrote 
in a way that if you weren't a neuroscientist or you weren't a sciencey person, you could still understand it. But if you were a sciencey person like myself, you really appreciated the fact that you added brains, like you have scans of your brain in the book, which I found completely compelling where you can see the inflammation that you talk about earlier in the podcast. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, well, this is, uh, uh, I had some hesitation about it, how much I should reveal about myself and how honest I should be. Maybe it would, uh, it will, um, some people will, will not like it and uh, think about it as uh, too much of extrovert uh, but uh, tendencies. But I think it's important to share. It helped me and I hope it, help, it will help other people. Um, moving to another place. So, okay. Um, Thank you for uh, for uh, saying it um, that you liked it. Uh. Yes, I loved it. I thought it was extremely insightful. It's extremely helpful, and it's it's remarkable. Just your journey and who you are as a person as a whole is remarkable. <laughs> and I truly mean that. I truly mean that. I don't. I meet very few remarkable people in my day, and. You're one of the top three for sure of remarkable people that I've had the pleasure of reading the book and then now interviewing you, which I completely appreciate you coming on. I really do. It's it was when you agreed, I was jumping up and down. I was like, oh, my God, she agreed. And <laughs> my boyfriend was like, what are you freaking out about? And I was like, you don't want to understand. It's fine. <laughs> and he was like. And I told him that, you know, who you were, obviously. And he was like, oh, that book that you read. And I was like, oh, you do pay attention. It's a miracle. <laughs> It makes me happy to hear it. Um, yeah, that's, uh, it makes me happy to make other people happy. <laughs> well, you made me extremely happy, so I really appreciate it. Well, I am out of questions for you for today, but I deeply, deeply appreciate you coming on the show today and just chatting with me and having a really great conversation about you and your book. And I do wish you a speedy recovery with your broken bones and with your brain surgery coming up. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. <laughs> it was a wonderful time talking to you, Barbara, a.k.a. Dr. Lipska. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you and enjoy the rest of your day the best you can with broken bones. <laughs> thank you and send me whatever um, you will put together okay uh, link yes ma'am thank you thank you so much and i wish you thank you so much thank you bye-bye <laughs>